is Richard Wilson speaking. Um, there's some people who know me as Victor Meldrew, but as far as I'm concerned, Victor Meldrew's dead. And thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. Hello to my fellow footers and gravers. Thank you for downloading today's episode. I'm thrilled to welcome on a professional in this field, and that is in the world of acting. I grew up watching this chap in some brilliant shows and, for my money, criminally underrated. I don't just say that because he's on the podcast, but he is one of those actors whose credibility rose in the 1990s that should be celebrated today, and that's obviously why I've got him on the podcast. Some of his highlights include The Thin Blue Line as PC Kevin Goody, Notting Hill as Martin, Gimme 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 as Tom, Mount Pleasant as Roger, Whitechapel as Charlie Cross, My Hero as George Monday and Thermo Man, Absolutely Fabulous as Christopher and Harrison in The Sarah Jane Adventures. Without further ado... Let me introduce you to Mr. James Dreyfus, everybody. Enjoy. Well, from the entertainment world of professional acting, I'm pleased to welcome Mr. James Dreyfus on the show. Hi there, James. Hello, Tom. Thank you for giving up your time. And you're the first professional actor I've had on the show outside of the One Foot in the Grave universe. But nice. I'm pleased to have someone on the show with such a passion. Obviously, oh, I, I was saying to you just now, wasn't I? I sort of uh, spied on your Twitter feed some time ago. You lavished praise on One Foot in the Grave. I thought, oh, that'd, be a, that'd be a good guy to have on. And here you are. Yeah, it's uh, it's an astonishing program for many reasons, because I've heard David Renwick say that basically he is Victor Meldrew. And um, it's not really about a moany old man um, um, at all. It's just about a man trying to get through life and it's other people who um, constantly ruin it <laughs> for him. Yeah, that's no secret, is it? I mean, I suppose in the early days of, of watching one from the grave for me i think the assumptions made that he is this miserable old fool but we still loved him but actually as you as you get that much older you realize that he is in the right he's in the right everyone yes. else is in the wrong and he, uh you know he is although uh, i mean he is in the right but um <laughs> but you've got to feel for um margaret who um has to put up with it 24 hours a day because yeah. the moaning doesn't just stop it well, that's true. Packet of crisps dropped outside his front door. <laughs> I mean, he's he's very oversensitive or hypersensitive, should I say? So I suppose if you if you're living with somebody with somebody twenty four seven, like you say, that's going to get a little bit tiresome. But <laughs> you know, but I suppose with regards to yourself, there, James, how did you get into acting? What inspired yourself? You were acting before One Foot in the Grave began, should I say? So what actually inspired? You? I love I love to say it was I love to hear it was One Foot in the Grave, but you know, I would imagine before nineteen ninety, you were you were acting. Um, well, I left drama school in 1990, so... Oh, OK. Uh, yes, it's... Uh, no, so... so. Um, I mean, I was doing rec. I was doing theatre, did theatre for about four years and then got into television. But that's kind of how it worked back then, as you had to, you know, put your time in. Yes. You didn't automatically come out and expect an instant career and fame and, and um, a YouTube channel and yeah. being an influencer. You had to actually do some work. <laughs> <laughs> so were you, were you spotted in a stage production or 
did you have a really good agent or did you go out there yourself and uh, find the work or no i was very lucky um i think it was uh, it was um sophie elton ben elton's wife who uh, for a start it was graham linehan and arthur matthews who wrote father ted, ted. Yeah. they did um a comedy show called paris which they cast me in and then that that sort of spread um into um i think it was the thin blue line and uh, i was i think i was recommended by by, by ben's wife so so it sort of snowballed from there really what, what was it like working on the thin blue line set with you know rowan atkinson and david haig and co was that well quite I a mean, treat you can imagine uh, what it was like it was uh yeah like all my christmases had come at once it was it was uh i kept pinching myself every day that i was you know in the room with with men who'd been making me laugh since i was so high I, it was a joy i mean it was just a complete joy i had a blast <laughs> Argu- arguably constable goody got the most laughs in that show there, there's well, some great I, great moments but well only because he was the silliest and <laughs> I mean, to me, I always thought of him as Frank Spencer. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, the press and uh, everyone assumed he was gay. And I thought, well, that's very strange. That, I, yes, I read. in love with Constable Habib. But I thought he was just the, sort of this innocent um, fool. Mm. Um, who was rather like Frank Spencer, who uh, innocence always make you laugh. And, and when it's slightly over the top, you know, it, it, it becomes the silliest. Yeah, I, I just I just remember a, a, a goody moment where he was, he was sweeping some mafia's apartment and he found what was obviously cocaine. He just dismissed it as a bit of powder. Just the way, just a bit of powder, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just the, the innocence of it, and how 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 did Goody get into the police force? You know, with yeah, his naivety. That's a, but <laughs> that's a very good question. <laughs> but you know, David Haig's another one. Grim, who was with his ranting, which was you know one of the highlights of the show. Very underrated, really, because people don't really look back and go, "Do you remember that, that character from Thin Blue Line?" You do all the rant. You know, you got Basil Fawlty and Victor Meldrew rants, hilarious, but he doesn't really get a mention. I don't think that's oh. fair. <laughs> By the fans of the show, he does. He, yeah. He, he, I mean, um, he was one of my favourite characters um, because he took his rant so seriously. And um, obviously what he was actually saying was, was so unbelievably <laughs> offensive um, and really quite out there. But he said it was such integrity and believe... Uh, my, um, my line about his character is, uh, you know, his marriage to Tina that he's always moaning to Kevin Allen and Mark Addy about. And he says, if I have to be miserable in life, I don't see why others shouldn't either. And that sort of, <laughs> and that sort of, sort of summed it all up for me. Do you ever go back to watching any of the shows you've been in? You know, Thin Blue Line as an example, or Notting no. Hill? No. It's just a job, I suppose. It's, I suppose compared well, to well, fans, well, you go back to well, stuff. Well, I've, I've done it and I've seen it. So, um no. Your answer is pretty clear, but I'm still going to push it in this respect. When's the last time you might have switched on Thin Blue Line or just have a quick peek? Is it hard to resist or do you generally go, oh, I can't watch it's that? It's not hard to resist at all. Okay. I just don't watch it. It's that at the beginning when something comes out, you mm. watch things quite a lot because yeah. you tend to be very self-critical and you, know, you want to see what you did too much of or you what you 
didn't do enough of. Uh, and so I, I did at the beginning, you know, watch it quite sort of religiously and yep. think, oh, God, I got that bit wrong or this, um, that. So I know it quite well. Although I have to say, I'm sure that I'm sure if I sat down to watch some episodes tomorrow, I would yep. have forgotten half of them. Yeah. I would have forgotten what some details of half of them. It was, but maybe I should. Could be a laugh, you know. My mum used to act, like I said just now, well, before I hit record, absolutely in hysterics at Constable Goody. Just your performance was just so eccentric. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, I, mean, I was watching that as it was aired in the 90s, so it was always a treat. I think it must have been a Wednesday or a Thursday to come out and always look forward to those. I mean, 90 sitcoms in general, I feel like, I, whether I've got any proof of this, I haven't. Just don't, they don't seem to get the credit they deserve. And that's no, why uh, One Foot in the Grave is they, it's a podcast now on it, just to talk will. about it. They will. When, when people actually wake up and realise how unfunny everything is at the moment, um, yeah. and how politically correct everything is and, mm. yeah. and how dull everything is um, uh, they will It'll, they'll become you know they'll crave things like One Foot in the Grave they'll crave brilliant writing they'll crave brilliant performances <laughs> it's just a shame it's taken 20 years so far <laughs> what, what was your out of all the work you've, you've done performed in what, what's your personal favourite Oh, that's a difficult one because I've I've worked with a lot of my comedy heroes and I, uh, and I, I, I uh, they've all been my favourite in different ways. I can't yeah. I can't pick up one of them. Um, I, I just I just that's can't. a that's a tricky question, isn't it? I mean, there's some highlights, you know, Notting Hill, Gimme Gimme Gimme, Mount Pleasant, Whitechapel as well. My heroes, some of these, but I also had Dougal from Father Ted, and that was. Uh, one of those comedies that just came and went, and that's, that's the case for a lot of these 90s sitcoms, but there's a few classics out there, you know, yeah. include Thin Blue Line, that still remain, you know, amongst comedy fans, classics. But, um, yeah, well, I suppose I, with recent comedy, Afterlife is the exception. I know you're a big fan. I go back to it. Afterlife is one of the greatest shows I've ever seen because uh, somehow he manages to make a show about his wife dying of cancer and him wanting to kill himself, <laughs> uplifting and yep. life-affirming. And yep. I, I'm also a sort of huge fan of Ricky Gervais for <laughs> being the uh, <clears throat> animal lover and the humanitarian that he is and the, and the, and the common sense he talks. <laughs> uh, he, he, he's a pretty significant man, uh, certainly yep. in my life. Yeah. Do you know Ricky Gervais personally? Or? I don't know him personally, no, but we um, we talk on Twitter. That's I mean, we good. don't have long conversations on Twitter, no. but we, you know, we exchange. Is there any other comedies in the last 10 to 15 years that you'd say, that's not bad, not perfect? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not knocking all... I'm, I'm, I, I'm not having a pop at um, all comedies, but uh, at the moment, because there have been some fantastic ones. Um, um, it's just not many. There's just not many. Uh, extras, maybe. Oh, yes. Owl with laughter. The Office, obviously, was. Uh, what a peep show? Uh, no, I didn't like no? peep show. No, okay. it wasn't my cup of tea. Okay. Uh, it's not to say it wasn't funny. No. It just wasn't my up my street. There really isn't that many I can think of, but like you said, it, it, 
fast forward another 20 years, the comedy made in the last 10 years might suddenly pick up a bit of popularity for mm. whatever reason. So. The, the worst of these comedy panel shows now, which used to be quite outrageous and you know when they say oh we're bringing you know we've got comedy legends and you look at them and you think i don't i don't couldn't tell you who that is from adam so don't call them a comedy legend if you're eric morcom mm. you're a comedy legend if you're second time on television you're not and uh, I, I find a lot of them just I just, I just find them. You know, the moment you put in political correctness or identity politics, there's no more comedy. You have to excuse if you have to excuse a joke. Yeah. Forget, forget it. Go somewhere else. Do something else. What kind of comedy or drama were you brought up on that you know that inspired you or, or influenced you or just just enjoyed? <clears throat> Monty Python, Not the Nine O'clock News, Blackadders, French and Saunders, the comic strip. Alexi Sale, Peter Richardson. That was the comedy I was grazing upon at that age. Did you um, watch Dad's Army? Oh, I loved Dad's Army. I, I loved it because, um, in fact, Thin Blue Line reminded me of Dad's Army. I was just going to say, so on, a friend of my, a friend of friend of the podcast, Simon. He, he does a member even badly podcast. Incidentally, uh, don't forget your goodbye, Kirkins. He said he could see many comparisons with Dad's Army and Thin Blue Line. I hadn't thought of thought about that before and you just mentioned it there and it is there's there's striking resemblance with the, the characters well i think yes i think i don't think it's sort of aping it but i, I mean no. it's certainly got the pompous man in charge yeah it's got the it's got all the basic characters that uh do ridiculous things <laughs> each week it also reminds me a bit of um it ain't half hot mum yeah, and I remember all those uh, sitcoms that used to make me laugh. Uh, some others do have them. There's another one that I was apparently obsessed with. Yeah, I, I think I was obsessed with sort of watching comedy. Tony Hancock, which I grew to appreciate as I was slightly older. Yeah. Hancock's Half Hour, which um, I, I'd love to carry on films. Anything that's uh, anything that sort of went out on a limb and made me laugh, I I I. I was just obsessed with there's a there's a hancock podcast actually very nearly an armful that my brother and the hancock appreciation society run so you know, oh is there really a, yeah it's it's worth a oh worth a to, i will definitely go and have a listen to that because uh it's extraordinary to think number one he died so young I yeah i didn't realize he didn't reach 50 but i've read a lot about him and uh and it's extraordinary what he managed to accomplish but his timing very nervous actor, wasn't he? When he wasn't drinking, was uh, exceptional. That I've heard some tapes of the same scripts he did a couple of years later, when the drink had started to affect him, and it was like night and day. The the first scripts he was bang on and everything, and it's a it was terribly sad to hear the the second scripts. There's um uh, the the podcast. You know, who pay appreciation to Hancock? It's it's really worth it. They give such fine detail, um, and these are the the folks that have run the society for the last thirty, forty plus years. Oh, so really? They've got quite good contact with you know some of his uh, family members. So yeah, I think I think you'd enjoy it. It's it's oh, a worthy I, it's a worthy I'm shout. I'm definitely going to listen to it. <laughs> I, I just I adore him. I just I mean I just adore him and uh, and all the extra characters. <laughs> Yeah, that's in the show. Have you ever been auditioned for something that didn't quite work out, or anything you turned down, in, especially in the comedy world? Could we have seen yourself in One from the Grey, for example, or 
And anything you recall? No, I've accepted something that I didn't think was suitable in the comedy world, <laughs> uh, but I haven't. Um, what was that? But, oh, I'm not going to say. I've okay. got some trouble before. <laughs> okay. uh, but uh, but um, uh, but no, I haven't turned down uh, many comedy things uh, uh, unless I just didn't understand what what their comedy was all about. Uh, I've done auditions with people. I, I, I'm amazed that they call, call themselves comedians because mm. they say, I'm going to play this character and then you're going to just react to it. Yeah. And I, I listen to the character that he's doing and it's just incomprehensible to me. So I just sit there <laughs> in silence, <laughs> hoping against hope I don't get offered it. Well, there's some um, talk of a one from the grave stage play which I thought was supposed to be under wraps because that was privileged information that David Renwick spoke to me about. And I really wanted to tell the world, but it was like, well, it's not really confirmed as such because of the logistics side and lockdown stuff. Next thing I know, Richard Wilson mentions it on uh, Mike Fenton Stevens podcast. I thought, oh, bugger it, I'll, I'll talk about it then. But it's not happening as such. It's just that it's the script is there. And... Obviously, you need fresh new actors, and it would be great if you know if it happens to see yourself in there. I don't know what character would you, what character yeah. you think you'd play. There's not many of them, is there? There's either side of the neighbours or Victor himself. Is there uh, any? Yeah, you I don't yourself... know how I feel about these uh, fresh actors because uh, I feel so much about One Foot in the Grave was Annette Crosby mm. and Richard Wilson and Janine Davitsky. I felt yeah. so much of it was them that I don't really know. I mean, I think it works. I think it worked for uh, very well for what, uh, only for horses because you have a wide enough variety of characters yeah. and some very, very good uh, people in it. Yeah. And it's a musical, isn't it? So uh, it's got songs. In it. The Fools and Horses one. Yes. Yes. That, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, have you seen yeah, it? Or? No, I haven't, but I've, but I've had friends in it. So Are I you... know a bit about it. Uh, but I'm not sure how I feel about putting everything that was once iconic uh, and flogging it till it's, uh, till it's dead. Although I'm sure David Renwick would um, be um, <coughs> delighted at the revenue checks, at the, uh, at the residual checks. Uh, yes. So I understand the reason why. But yeah. I think for hardcore fans, you just want these things to be left alone and uh, and not mm. have it so not have it commercialized commercialized in a way. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I mean, I'm a sucker for comebacks or prequels or sequels, but I see both sides of it. To be honest with you, if, if there was one foot in the grave stage play, I'm I'm definitely watching it oh, just out of curiosity. Yes, of course. Who could who could play Victor Meldrew, Mark Meldrew? Let's basically hardly anybody, but it would be interesting to see an adaption the thing is was the half of what made victor meldrew so amusing was richard wilson's natural delivery yeah which was unique i mean it has been unique throughout his entire career uh, you know he has a specific way of saying things he has a, he's a very under as a director he was always going for understatement 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 yeah, uh, and actually, if you look at his performance, considering what happens to him, it is understatement. Um, you know, when a lamp from the street <laughs> comes into your bedroom, you would lose your mind. You? <laughs> yes. And that's one of my favourite moments is when he's trying to 
go back to sleep and uh, sing. And they're playing the laughing policeman. And the timing of the laughing policeman going, ah, 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 before he loses his tempo. And he just go tempo, and he just goes to the window and goes, shut up! It's exactly the type of thing I'd do. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, one of the exceptional qualities of one foot it was its ability to mix up comedy and darkness. Obviously, within the same scene, sometimes. It, it, yeah, it was very. I mean, I, that's. I think that's one of my favourite things about it is that David Remick was all was a, was incredible at being able to combine three different strands, which all interlinked in in one episode, which is yeah. a real feat because he does it for every single episode. And you know, suddenly out of the blue, you can hear. Oh no! You know that person's died, and it suddenly brings in. It, it just brings in. You know, this is about life. This is about ordinary, mm. mundane life. This is about ordinary, mundane people trying to get on with their lives, and how life makes it so difficult to do that, just because of you know making a phone call to a bank can take forty-five minutes, and you know little things that shouldn't irritate you you know first world problems they do they do irritate you they yeah. do ruin your day one of the highlights was brian murphy's performance as mr I, I, well, brian murphy is a genius I, I worked with him once and he was one of the most delightful delightful people and hilarious just hilarious and uh, his performance in that was 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 just, just <laughs> was just a delightful, and I have to say that the regulars in it were utterly brilliant yeah. um, as well. I mean, you had the put upon Doreen Mantle, who, who terrible things happened to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, terrible, terrible things happened to her. But I love the way that uh, David Remick. Just as a small example, you know, they start off in the car and they're talking and. <laughs> You know, it's all normal. And then sort of 10 minutes in, you realise that they've been stuck in a traffic jam. <laughs> she comes back from the loo. And it's just, it's just one of those it's just things. That, it's just, that's magic, isn't it? It's magic, you know, it is magic. I mean, it, 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 a moment like that sort of gives you a tingle. You were left a bit perplexed when you first watched that because... When you see Victor and Margaret don't even react, you go, this no, is this is just... the point. they don't they don't bat an And I'm quite and I'm quite sure I'm sure that they moved the car quite a few yards because the traffic was moving, so they would have driven off without her at one point, I'm sure, if my memory serves me right. But yeah, there's just out of the blue man I mean, going back to Mr. Foskett, got this character verbal diarrheaing the whole time. Top of the world. He can't speak enough about what's going on in life, but rather casually speaks about all the times he tried to commit suicide but with with sort of glee it's really win and you've got these two 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 young boys who you think are his his kids because it's just clever they're just sitting they're just there eating all the <laughs> i mean i mean the way he gets these ideas from and then and then interlinks it with something totally unconnected is 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 brilliant and i also love i love a nice sort of the way it begins that he's it's so typical, you know, he's replaced with a bloody computer. He, well, yeah. he's, he's replaced with a box. A box I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, 
it sets up the um, disposal of human input, which is, you know, I, I, it's, I mean, it's not exactly uniquely prescient, but it is certainly uh, a, a good way to start it off. In that first series, Margaret's quite keen for him to, to you know, start a hobby and keep busy. But as the series progresses, she gets increasingly irritated by any hobby he carries out, whether it's um, ventriloquism, um, <laughs> tidying up a, an old wooden puppet, sandpapering the breasts of the puppet, you know, <laughs> uh, cooking, fishing. He can't quite win in that regard because he's, he's trying to keep busy, but but it always ends up sort of complaining or how do you do this and making more work for her. Mm. And um, and also don't forget when people retire, you know, you've you've had this glorious thing of you know your your partner leaving every day and going and doing something, so you have time, you have your routine, they have yeah. their routine, and suddenly they're um, they're together twenty four seven, and it's not quite the same. What do you think, or what are your thoughts on Mr. Sweeney and his unseen mother? I, I, I Mr. Sweeney, I I, I just I. Just, I just lo- love Mr. Swain. Um, his his constant optimism said with the sort of oh yes, you know, you know, mother's had a terrible operation, um, you know, she almost didn't make it, but she's fine, you know. And he's and he's open, he's made a latch so he can open the fence any time he wants. And she's so nice that you can't, you know. You can't get angry at Mr. Sweeney, but he's always got some sort of terrible, <laughs> terrible thing. Or, or when um, he says, you know, oh, no, 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 she's here, she's here. Well, where is <laughs> she? She's watching us from the curtains upstairs. That's why <laughs> I, I absolutely loved that. You know, when the look on Victor Margaret's face, when he'd say, no, she's up there, look. He says, yeah. thank you very much. And they're just, they're looking so baffled. Because yes. they think, is she, there was some, um, People like to speculate, oh, was she even alive? Was she there? But you do actually see Margaret in the first episode in their new house in Luton, yes. Milk and Heath Cream. She's helping, apparently, that his mother fell out of bed, so she's helped her back in. So that kind of puts that little fun uh, rumour to bed. Uh, unless, uh, right. she, unless she was humouring um, humoring him and thinking, oh, God, I've got to just pre- pretend I'm putting his pretend mother back into yeah. bed. But no, apparently she was real, but... No, I think she is real because because it makes it 20, 20 times funnier if she is real. <laughs> Did you, um, I think one of the funniest Mr. Swainy scenes for me, he's had Victor and Margaret over for a games night and he's just seen them off to the, to the door and his mum is communicating with slaps and bangs and quack noises. <laughs> and that, apart from Victor's facial expressions on how peculiar and weird this was that whole setup is one of those things i, w- I will replay and in a again, way again, again. <laughs> just and i think I, I, very... I, and also i love the the lessons that you get learned like he goes into a video store and he you know naturally complains about something which would be which is absolutely you know, something you would do, and then finds out what an awful time this woman has. Yeah, and it's a very human thing, you know. You, mm. it's how are you supposed to know? People can't, don't wear badges all the time. <laughs> this is it. It's dealing with things like that, or or putting in an extraordinary silent performance by Sir Anthony Sher. Um, yes, rearranging well, the dust. 
Uh, yes, I, I, but you know, who would think of putting one of the the world's finest Shakespearean actors in, in a role and no lines, and he just does this perfection, this little performance. It, it I mean, I just thought everything about it was just just right. It just got everything right. Yeah, and I'd also I have to say this. David Renwick's references. Uh, uh, what I loved about David Renwick's references was that they weren't universal. They were very specific, and only a few people sometimes would get them. And I'm sure there were producers somewhere going, David, I don't think really many people are going to get that reference. And I, I, I'm sure he goes, that's the point. Point, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm one of the probably many. I do have to do, when I'm, I've reviewed all the, the episodes now so when i'm reviewing them i have to go yeah who who's this politician from the 50s right okay what was the scandal okay right i get it now but sometimes you don't have to get the reference because the performance is funny anyway you get you get an idea of why he's using that particular reference but yeah i think with mr swaney go back to mr swaney throughout the whole series he's this jolly upbeat guy no matter what's happening to whatever's thrown at him he gets back up again but it's that one of the things the penultimate episode he's having a conversation with margaret in the car and he's basically saying you know i've spent all my life pushing old women about who's gonna push me about which is so sad yeah and so poignant but at the same time you've got victor being thrown out of a window in the background which you, you just, you're still trying to mourn poor mr swaney's you know yes you, what's going to happen in the future now his mum's died <laughs> you've got Victor being beaten up in the background um, for pissing off some local thug, and you just you're almost confused as a fan. Like I'm just trying to get over this scene, and now I'm laughing hysterically at this bit. It's just yeah. very few writers have that ability. I, John Sullivan's another one. Yeah, you could do that, but oh my god. Yeah, I mean, I think David Renwick is, is is sort of genius at constructing script and and constructing characters. And I think with Annette Crosby and Richard Wilson, he found he 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 found a gold mine and mined mm. it. It's clever. I mean, spooky in some cases. If we take the Christmas special in the caravan, he's he thinks he's woken up with Margaret, who's basically a ghost, and he looks at the time ten twenty seven, but she's died at that time technically because her heart stopped. Has its spooky side, but. You know, whether, whether you, you know, have a believer that kind of thing is, a, is another another matter, but it's still great storytelling, isn't it? It's still it's, uh, it's, it's incredible storytelling. I mean, it really is just every week is something different. Every week is something surprising. Um, and I also love the way that when I don't believe it started to become a sort of catchphrase, that he pulled it right back. Yeah. Because I say I don't believe it about 20 times a day. And <laughs> and I don't believe that Renwick wanted it as any sort of catchphrase. Yeah. Um, and, and so get started to put in variants. Yeah. Uh, what's in the name of sanity? Name yes, of bloody what's hell. in the name of sanity? What the bloody hell? You know, all those things uh, started replacing it, which was a wonderful thing yeah. to see. So it didn't become a sort of I don't, I, I, unfortunately, it's still, you know, people only yeah. have to hear it twice and they go, oh, I don't believe it. And you go, yeah. oh, it's much more than that. <laughs> Is there a standout performance in One from the Grave that makes you gasp in amazement? That one scene or moment that you go, oh, yeah, that was powerful or that was hilarious or any emotion you can think God, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to really think about that. Um, I always loved the, I always, I always loved the chemistry that um, Angus Staten and Janine Davitsky had. 
um, in being stuck. They can't even sell their house, they're so stuck. <laughs> and these are people that would have gone on and, yeah. you know, okay, not done anything special, but they would have, you know, got on with life. And <laughs> often through misunderstanding, they, they, they are stuck in this sort of circle of hell. I know that, and I always and I always think their their performances are are, um, are bang on. Yeah, it, quite frustrating, you know, as a fan for Victor when he he lands himself in trouble with with Patrick, and it's it's nothing to do with Victor half the time. No, um, but of course, from Patrick's point of view, a different story. A lot of his performances remind me of um, John Cleese, the way he delivered his lines in a quite a dry manner. That if you agree with that or not. Well, I do agree with that, but I think it's unavoidable because if you look at his lines, there's very little he can do yeah. apart from deliver them um, with a slightly John Cleese um, line. And I'm sure David Remick wrote it with <clears throat> John Cleese responding to E.L. Whiskey, you know. You know, um, <laughs> you know, it had that sort of really, I see, that sort of sarcasm uh, thing, which, of course, Angus delivered beautifully i thought yeah uh, and gave a, a terrific performance and just the incredulity uh, of it all and and of course janine duvitsky thinking well he's brought it upon himself uh, yeah both of them idiot men yeah <laughs> the, the the ladies remain quite close friends and kept it together didn't they throughout you know the patrick and pippa moves in the show they moved on but they kept in touch victor even saves patrick's life at one point Yes. And uh, still the following episode, Patrick's gone back to sort of not hating on Victor, but finding him really irritating. But your life's been saved. I think the end of Wisdom was supposed to be possibly the last episode, which would have made sense because Patrick and Victor have experienced nothing but squabbling amongst each other. Like you say, misunderstanding. And it comes. Yes. It, would, it would have ended with actually uh, Victor saving Patrick's life from Phil Daniels character. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that would have been a. And you think uh, with that particular episode, Margaret's at a graveside, isn't she? Writing a letter to a, a relative, and you're under the assumption of like Victor's dead, and we're, we're learning how it how it's happened. But it's that moment at the end where she comes in the back door through the kitchen. Lights are obviously not on. She switched on the light, and there there's Victor watching the snooker, arm in a bandage, ranting at the you know ranting at the snooker angle shots he's okay which is a relief but you just led down that path with Renwick aren't you just like yes sort of like I'm I'm mourning the death of Victor here and of course he's alive thank god well until the series six of course (laughs) and 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 should we be should we be thinking about the the very ending well I was going to ask you about the what 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 are your immediate opinions on things aren't simple anymore well, I, I, I think, I think Annette Crosby gives such a brilliant performance at that moment because you just don't know. You just don't know because it's possible <laughs> that it's possible that she did. You know, it, it's a bit of a bugger that even David Renwick doesn't know. I mean, well, he might I'm, have I'm a glad secret. He doesn't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he doesn't know, and I was hoping you'd say that he doesn't know. Because it leads it up to you. Mm. And they're both so... They both give such neutral performances that, you know, he's... You know, this woman has taken away Margaret's life. 
really, Margaret's raison d'etre and um, and just the way she says it at the end. I don't know either, but I like to think that she's done something. The, the, the question's often asked, did she kill Glynis or not? But she won't have to have killed her. She might have just gone back to do some damage, you know, rough her up. You see a close-up shot of her putting some headache tablets in the drink, and you think, oh, maybe she's put one too many in there to drug her and whatever. But I think the consensus is, whenever I've I've asked people on these one foot in the grave forums, most say no, she wouldn't have done. That. She wouldn't have. Done, you know, it's not in her nature. But you've only got to look at those previous scenes of her saying, you know, I will kill the bastard. That it certainly yes. was in her nature. I, I disagree. Yeah. It certainly mm. was in her nature when yeah. she. You know, when she'd had enough with other people, um, thing, and especially when it came to Victor, mm. uh, who she would have done anything for. Yeah, that's why it's so pertinent and important. Just, mm. just to think about it, because if 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 if, she, if it wasn't in her nature, what payoff would that ending have brought us? Nothing, because yeah. you know that she would never do it. But what's interesting about it is the fact that, well, she might have done something because it is in her nature. That's what makes it interesting. Yeah, this Glynis character, she only told, she only owned up to it because Margaret found the cuttings of the, you know, the, the accident. She she put the pieces together in her in her head and realised, ah, oh, I've been sort of played a bit. So you got, you've also got to ask yourself: Is was Glynis being genuine with approaching Margaret to be friends of her? Was it out of guilt or did she generally feel sorry? She probably did feel sorry. Or was it something else? You, you know, like, would she have ever found out? Because Margaret found out by fluke, as far as I can recall, you know. Well, I think the, I think the um, answer to that was casting Hannah. Hannah Gordon, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because she represented, it was rather like casting Lynette Newman. You know, it's someone that you would never expect. She's very gentle. She's very convincing. Mm. She's not an evil uh, sort of uh, witch. She's she's someone that you would automatically like. And I think that sort of sets it up as as being, could have happened. Yeah. Might not have happened, but could have happened because (coughs) that night, that, that niceness, that facade, Margaret could see through anything. Margaret was a brilliant judge of character. And it might have annoyed her even more that she was like this. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But it's fun it, to speculate. It's, it's, it's very fun, yeah. I originally said the consensus was people seem to say she wouldn't. But I think it is probably closer to 50-50. It's fun to speculate. It's not real, but it's a powerful sitcom. It's a drama com. And it's, you know, these are characters yeah, we love. And we want to know... What happened? What happened? I mean, Margaret as a character is, you know, she's only about seventy. Yeah. I think the show ran for ten years. Victor's sixty when he's retired. I think she's a couple of years younger. So as a character, she's got to think: if I do Glynis in, I've got, to, I'm probably going to go to jail, and that's me done for the rest of my life. She's still got fifteen, twenty years in her to live a life. So, you know, if you were to write the following episode as a writer, if you don't, David Renwick, you got to think: would would Margaret want to, uh, you know, waste? Her life is wasted in her mind because Victor's not there, but she might want to um, reconcile with, you know, the uh, killer of her husband. I don't know. It's it's difficult uh, one. Her the fact that Hannah I, Gordon... I, th- I think the last look that she gives her says it all. Really. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't think there's forgiveness there at all, and I don't think she believes the 
apology uh, at all. And I, and I think that um, underneath it all, she's feeling you've taken every... And it's driving. Mm. It's knocking him off the street. It's not a sort of accident where... If you have a spare hour or two, if you're walking anywhere, driving anywhere, have a listen to my chat with David. He's he's on two episodes, a standalone chat, and he also rather fittingly reviews the final episode with me. Right. So he does talk a bit, you know, quite a bit about that ending, and he speaks about how, or what, what was his conversation with Lynette for that final scene in the, in the car before she drives off, about what he wanted her to do, or how he wanted her to express herself the right way to sigh and where to look. It doesn't really give any more answers, but it's just an interesting insight into the, you know, the behind the scenes and, and yeah, the direction of the show. Yeah. Um, I will listen to that. I will listen to that. Yeah. But I don't want to know. I mean, obviously. No, it doesn't give I, anything I, away. It's just, it's just quite a good insight into. And I, and I love the fact that he doesn't know. So yeah. I think that, I think that's how it should be. Yeah. Did you watch the episode as it aired back in 2000? Do you remember the final one for episode? The and final when, one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Were you aware that Victor Meldrew was going to be killed off? Because I think it was it wasn't a secret, but not everyone might have known. Were you a uh, fan? That were I was. You were. Uh, yeah. When that final episode aired, I mean, it, I'm blown away by the fact that we open up with a scene with Margaret on the telephone calling some solicitor firm, and she just drops in in there that Victor's been dead for however many months, which blew me away. Cause I thought, oh, we're not we're not going to see this in chronological order, and it's quite brave move from david i think to to tell us straight away he's dead you don't even get to see that play out live what was your take on that opening scene because that just absolutely blew me away well because yeah. you're mourning from the start really you know that you, you're gonna you might shed a tear or two to say the least because one of our favorite characters can be killed off but were you expecting yeah, but, it in that first scene that's what i suppose but then it's david renwick and you know i can imagine halfway through um uh, uh, the scene uh, that they've named one of their fish, Victor. Uh, so, I, 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 you know, there's always something that could throw you off. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know she was talking to a solicitor. I mean, oh, but, but, but Victor could have, might not have been Victor Meldrew. So I, I, you watch it thinking, no, no. Is this how they're going to tell us? But then it's one foot in the grave. So yeah. you think, Shouldn't be surprised, really. <laughs> there, there, there could be a twist. Yeah, yeah. There I could be a twist, but and and I think it takes the whole episode for it to sink in yeah. that actually this man is dead, and uh, this this man we know so well is dead. It just it's a mark of quality with the writing and acting, but because we see flashbacks in that episode and Victor's obviously well and truly alive. You almost forget that what's going to happen. You always forget that he's he's dead. I'm just watching a, a highlight here. So that's yeah. how, that's how good Confident the Grave is. Yeah. It, it, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the impact it had at the end was, I mean, really quite profound and really quite moving. Mm. And you felt like you'd lost someone and you'd lost two people. You'd mm. lost Margaret. You'd lost Victor. You'd lost that whole world. Yeah, and it's suddenly been brought to an end. But I'm a big fan of doing things like that. I'm a, I, I think you know, leaving it, mm. uh, you know, open ended. Sometimes, apart from the very end, 
um, sometimes is the way to go. You know, give it, give it a bump, give it a finale, give it a, give it a. Where do they go next? Yeah, it's it's a shame we didn't see Patrick and Pepper and Mrs. Warboys in that final episode. Well, I uh, think it would have got become slightly mawkish, had we. I, I I I'm quite glad we didn't because because then you'd have to deal with their emotion. Yeah, and I think what David Renwick was concerned about was Margaret's emotions and our emotions and yeah. how we felt about losing Victor Meldrew by that yeah. stage had become a you know a national treasure for one yeah. better word and, so I, and I and I think. And I think putting those other characters in would have been, would have presented a, 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 um, a, a an issue. And I think it was, I think it was wise of him to leave them out. No, that's that's a fair point. It's something dark and tragic, but amusing that Mrs. Warboys' final encounter with Victor is she thinks he sexually assaulted her with the <laughs> marrow sticking out the door or the cu- I can't remember. In the dark, and um, one of the biggest misunderstandings between those two, probably in the entire series. And she rushes out the door because she thinks he's in love with her through that the Italian chip shop owner who's having an affair with his wife's friend. And Victor's asked to write a letter for him because he's got no fingers, his fingers come off in the chips. He can't write, obviously, and maybe his use of English language isn't as, as strong as it could be. So. Another reason for Vic to write to write a, a letter to an agony aunt in a local rag, which Mrs. Warboy's been the, the nosy character she is throughout. Obviously, takes a read and and yeah, huge misunderstanding. And uh, but yeah, that's the final time. That's the final time she's gets to say goodbye to uh, Victor. And it's not really a goodbye. You can't you can't have these characters say goodbye because the death is so. No, obvious, so. because then you'd have to deal with you'd have to deal with that issue. Yeah. You know, yeah. Of, that was the last time I saw Victor. The last time I, so I think I think we we know what their reactions are going to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, even even Patrick, I think, would be deeply shocked and yeah. uh, and, and moved by it. And uh, uh, so, I, so, think so. I, I I think it kept it small and it yeah. kept it. Yeah. And it and it kept us guessing, you know. Yeah. Because people would be asking, well. You know, do you think she did it on purpose? Was she drinking? Was she? Well, it, make, it makes you talk about this. We, we, here we are, twenty-two years later, talking about an ending of a sitcom where most comedies, the final episode, you don't really. Blackadder, you do because of the the moment they run out into the the battlefield, which is a beautiful ending. You've got Fools and Horses, I mean, the original ending, ninety-six, where they're walking up into the sunset. We can remember those endings, but many comedies you just don't. The final episode of anything. No series is hard to. Well, to I think pe- I think they're doing. I think people do it because they think they're being sort of uh, edgy and yeah. uh, and uh, not a lot of people do that. In fact, it's the other way around. Yeah. If they'd resolve a, a few things, uh, that's what's unique. Yes. About it, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I think people have got it the wrong way around. <laughs> oh, I do. Can you believe the nerve of this? A skin their ruddy heights for them. Is there anything that annoys James Dreyfus? I'll tell you this for nothing. 
What annoys me is exactly what annoyed Victor Mel. Litter being thrown in the street, people pushing past you, uh, a family movie in the horror section in what used to be a video store. <laughs> it's the little things. It's the thoughtlessness of other people. It's the lack of spatial awareness of other people. It's the boredom of other people. It's the social convention that you, if you're invited somewhere, you have to go. It's the very British sense of someone rings your doorbell and says, I know you, that you let them in. <laughs> and everything. Every, it's, every, it's every English foible that you could possibly imagine that irritated Victor Meldrew irritates me. It's often said that David Renwick is Victor Meldrew. Uh, well, then in that <laughs> case, I am David Renwick. <laughs> you can rely on a professional actor to display their thoughts on what annoys them in such a uh, classy manner. So thank you for that, Meldrew <laughs> Moan, James. Uh, thank you for your giving up your time today. Uh, we said it feels like a Sunday, but it's, it's a Friday. It's uh, part of Jubilee. Are you getting into all that, or are you not really? Uh, that's by the way. No, I shall have a glass of. I shall have a cup of tea at four o'clock. Fab. And, uh, wave a little flag. I mean, a, a millennium, a, 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 a platinum jubilee is never going to happen again, unless you're. It's very true. Lucky. So yes, I am going to uh, raise a cup of tea to her. I think she's nice. uh, an amazing lady. Like you said it's once in a lifetime experience, isn't it, for more or less everybody right now? Everybody. So um, you have Thank a. You. Nice cup of tea. James, thank you for your time. And uh, people can follow you on Twitter. You like the odd Meldrew Moan, amongst other things. So it's always entertaining. And your videos of your um, dog, is it Hobbs? Hobbs. Hobbs, yeah. your do- doggy. It was like Crufts in your um, house yesterday. You were saying three or four of them running around with you. Yes. Were you dog sitting? Crufts sit, set in Bedlam. <laughs> um, but uh, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about one of my favourite sitcoms of all time in my top 10 and i'm so glad that it's getting the uh the discussion and the uh the publicity that you give it i think it's uh it's fascinating well thank you yeah having um people like yourself on to help spread the conversation further one foot is 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 a privilege so thank you james thank you very much tom have a lovely take a care uh, platinum weekend and you All the best. Cheers. Bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. One foot in the grave. One foot in the grave.